Marcus Bent. Um, that's his name. Uh, he's not God's great king, but he does hold the accolade of um, being the person who has played for the most number of different teams in the Premier League. Uh, eight different sides Marcus Bent has played for uh, in the top flight of English football. I guess that means that quite often he would find himself playing against teams that he used to play for, uh, however that uh, feels for him. Now that doesn't matter very much. Well, you might think it does, but it doesn't. Uh, which side he plays for. It doesn't matter very much at all. He's doing a job. He's earning a living. He's enjoying himself. He's, he's pretty good at football. Not good enough to be a superstar at the same club for, de for a decade, but it's not that serious. Uh, in the psalm that we've just read, it is deadly serious which side you're on. Deadly serious. Um, if you've got the sermon outline which was at the door, the first heading, I'm sorry I've got nothing on the screen, I've lost the connector to uh, put stuff up there. Um, but as we open this psalm, you definitely want to be on the same side as this God that we read about in this psalm. That's really the first 20 verses. You definitely want to be on the same side as this God. And verses 1 to 3, David knows that he is completely safe. That's how he opens the psalm. He's uh, in an immovable place, on an immovable place. That's where he's standing. He's defended on every side and he is saved from his enemies. The Lord is his rock, fortress, and deliverer. And David can say that even though he's been in the very tightest of spots. He's been under the threat of death, verses 4 to 6. And as we've read through these books, that's not just been for a moment. That has been an ongoing position that David has found himself in, in the face of enemies and particularly in the face uh, of Saul. But he knows that he is safe, nevertheless. Even when he's in the very tightest of spots, when death is rearing at the door, he knows he is completely safe. Because I call to the Lord, verse 4, and have been saved from my enemies. Again in verse 7, in my distress I called to the Lord. I called out to my God and he heard me. My cry came to his ears and then God acted. That's verses 8 to 16. And the language is extraordinary. I tried to bring it out a bit in the way that I read it. The great and powerful God has roused himself. The whole universe shakes in the psalm here because its creator is on the move to act and to save. From top to bottom, uh, there are earthquakes, and I don't know if this is a word, but there are heaven quakes in these, in these verses as well. 
fire and darkness and lightning and thunder, like a mighty fire-breathing dragon is the image as he rises, soars and sweeps. God is angry and he blasts out his breath and his enemies are scattered. No one is able to oppose this God when he acts. That's the picture. You definitely want to be on the same side as this God. If there is one enemy you don't want, it's this God. We're on the most certain hiding to nothing if the Lord is against us. Job came to say at the end of all his trials, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. No one is able to oppose this God when he acts. If you're on the same side as this God, therefore, you can rejoice in verses 17 to 20. He reached down from on high this great soaring uh, power and took hold of me. A full, complete, effective rescue. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, not powerful enough to oppose, to, 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 to thwart this God. He brought me out into spacious places. He rescued me. A full, complete and effective rescue. That's why David couldn't say at the beginning, I am completely safe. Even though death might be right in my face, I am completely safe with this God. This God has acted for him. David's enemies know this too. But from the other side of the coin, so to speak, they discovered that they just could not get to David. Every time they tried, they were scattered. Just go and ask Goliath, or Saul, or Abner, or Absalom, or Shimei. Or you can ask the nations of the Edomites, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, and the Amalekites. They'll all say the same thing. David sang this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. You definitely want to be on the same side as this God. It's no, it's no surprise then that in the wars that we fight, um, people have always wanted God on their side. Of course you would your best chance of winning that's a bit different from you being on God's side don't fall for that having God on your side may not be quite the same thing as you being on God's side but of course we want God on our side in war but we do need to be very careful about what we mean and my next three points are simply an effort to show you that it's not as simple as it, as it sounds. 
um, not to resolve all the complexities of the questions of war. But we need to be careful about what we mean about God being on our side. Um, there are just wars, wars that ought to be fought, where one side rightly goes to war against another. But that means, of course, there are unjust wars as well, therefore. At the same time, God sits in sovereign authority over the nations. And the book of Daniel is declared he deposes rulers and raises up others. And that will be on both sides of warring factions. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. So whether it's through a just war that ought to be fought or through an unjust war that ought not to be fought, God is doing as he pleases, raising leaders and bringing down nations to both sides in both cases. He is sovereign authority over all the nations. See how the language of which side is God on becomes complicated. Further still, the position of individual soldiers with respect to right and wrong and with respect to God, the position of individual soldiers may differ from the position of the army that they serve in. There were faithful Christian soldiers on both sides of the Second World War. We're going to listen to Psalm 91 as part of our act of remembrance, and you'll see something of this, I hope. The individual soldier. So at very least, we do need to be careful about saying God is on one side or the other. It's complicated. That's not to say that we can't say it. But we need to be careful what we mean. However, when it comes to this passage, the reason to be careful is because the great fight that God is involved in is one particular fight highlighted by this psalm. And it's much less confused than the wars that we fight. Because above all else, the Lord of heaven and earth rouses himself to fight for his king. That's what's happening in this psalm. That has always been the story of these two books of 1 and 2 Samuel. Right at the beginning, in a song that sort of mirrors this, I'll do it this way for you because that's the beginning, that's the end. Uh, right at the beginning of 1 Samuel, there was a song. And Hannah sang, he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. He'll fight for his king. And in the very last verse of our chapter today, he gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing kindness to his anointed to David and his descendants forever. The Lord's great fight is for his king. That's the story of 1 and 2 Samuel. But it's also the story of the whole world. It's the narrative that explains everything about our world, even right from the beginning. 
Ever since Adam failed to stand against God's enemy back in the Garden of Eden, and God's enemy, the devil, got a victory, ever since then, there has been a promise of a conqueror whom God would bring along to crush the evil enemy. It was even promised uh, to the devil back in Genesis chapter 3. God promised his enemy, an offspring of Eve will crush your head. And so the whole story has been, where is this king? Where is this conqueror? Now David was a step on the way towards this king. A big step. He really helps us to recognise and understand what this true conquering king is going to look like. But that is the big story. And so even more importantly, you definitely want to be on the same side as this God and he is fighting for his king. David knew this, David's enemies knew this. And of course, the true king who came, the Lord Jesus Christ, he knew this too. He's the reality that David is a step towards. When he came and lived amongst us, in the language of this psalm, death swirled about him. People were plotting to kill him for three years. And then the cords of the grave coiled round him and they didn't let go of him. Death had the Lord Jesus Christ. And then God acted and roused himself. And there were darkness and earthquakes as you read the New Testament. And all the power of the God of creation was exerted and Christ rose from the dead death becomes a scattered enemy when this God acts and Christ now sits triumphant and unassailably safe forever on his heavenly throne just like the enemies of David knew this so the enemies of Jesus need to know this too It's the most important thing that anybody can ever learn. That God has fought for his king. And you definitely don't want to be on the other side. To try somehow to stand against him. Or to say that he doesn't matter. Or that it doesn't matter which side I'm on. I've played, I've played for eight different sides. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Or to just ignore him. That is the height of human pride. It's not a safe place to be. It's a very foolish choice. You definitely want to be on the same side as this God and he is fighting for his king, the Lord Jesus But when you look a little closer, you definitely want the king for whom God fights. It's a really attractive, uh, he is a really attractive king to have. 
Um, in Weatherspoons tonight, we're going to work out, we've set ourselves a reasonable task, uh, we're going to work out the best form of human government. So, um, if, you, if, you, uh, if you want to come to Weatherspoons tonight and um, do the whole of humanity a favour and finally work out the answer to the question that we don't seem to have been able to work out yet as a race, then uh, tonight uh, is the night. Uh, democracy, dictatorship, anarchy, oligarchy. Um, if anybody knows what they mean, please come and help us as we talk about those um, tonight. But in the face of all that, having a king like the one described in verses 21 to 30, that's going to have a pretty good shot at being the answer. He's such an attractive king. Righteous. His hands are clean. He keeps God's laws. He's faithful, blameless and pure. With all this, he remains in humble dependence on God. The Lord is the one who gives him light and direction. He's not a proud king. He's not trusting in himself. And at the same time, this perfect king, well, the Lord knows that this is the case. The God of heaven knows it. He has seen it and he rewards it. Uh, verse 21, the Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. And the end of verse 25, according to my cleanness in his sight. I don't know what you think about leaders and governments and the efforts we've made, but I think you definitely want this kind of king. You definitely want this king for whom this God fights. Here's one who we would surely appreciate. A king ruling in God's world with the wisdom, fairness and purity of the God who created the world. And whilst doing that, never drifting from humble dependence, no hint of arrogance or self-interest ever getting in the way of his perfect rule. Now I know what you're thinking. This is David talking about David uh, and if you know the story of the last 12 chapters you might be having trouble processing what he says because this is the adulterer and the murderer that we've been meeting in the last 12 chapters he started as it were much better than he finished but I put it to you that this actually is still David but it's only David because of God's forgiveness. David certainly has his very great sin. There's no way around that as we read this. But back in chapter 12 and verse 13, when David confessed his sin to Nathan, we read this, you may remember. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, 
the Lord has taken away your sin. The Lord has taken away your sin. Just let that sink in. When you consider the depths of David's fall and the depths of his depravity, the Lord has taken it away. He's taken it away to such an extent it is so gone that David, the Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness. That's how much the Lord has taken it away. It's worth pausing and recognising. That's the forgiveness that God gives you and me. It is just as complete as someone who wants rid of their sin, who regularly confesses it. How do you think God sees you? Well, the Lord has taken away your sin according to your cleanness in his sight. As we've seen, David is the king for whom God fights and we definitely want the king for whom God fights, this kind of king. But David's only the shadow again of God's true king. David was the righteous king. But he was the righteous king in the same way that we are righteous. By the Lord taking his sin away from him. But the Lord Jesus Christ is the king of verses 21 to 30. In his own self. All his perfections are his very own. He will never fall short of them. He will never need the Lord to take away any imperfections and improve him. This is the king that David is only a mere shadow of. But this is the king that God fights for. This is the one he raised from the dead. If you could choose anyone to rule over all things forever, surely you would choose this king. Not the king who was treated as righteous because the Lord had taken his sins away, but the king who is perfectly righteous and with whom, by God's power, if we follow him, our sin is taken away. I'm very happy to have a conversation with anybody afterwards who can paint a better prospect of a better king that we would ever want. Either way, you will definitely acknowledge God's victorious king. We will all definitely acknowledge God's victorious king. In the closing section, starting verse 31, why will we do that? Well, because God has a perfect plan for victory through his king. Verse 31, his way, as for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. Who is God besides the Lord and who is the rock except our God? God has a perfect plan for victory through his king. 
And in verses 33 to 37, God equips and trains his king to fight. Wherever the battlefield may be, this king is equipped to go there and he knows how to fight when he gets there. Even when the battlefield might turn out to be a Roman cross, this king is equipped and trained to fight. God equips and trains his king to fight. And verses 38 to 43, God is with his king when he fights. Did you notice the mixture of the I, 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 the king doing things, and the you, 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 God doing things in these verses? God is for the king and against the enemy. The victory is complete. Christ is risen from the dead. So peoples and nations actually have no alternative but to acknowledge God's victorious king. I can assure you, we will definitely acknowledge God's victorious king. So in verses 44 to 46, the news spreads. And the peoples and the nations are met with this declaration in the psalm, David is king. End of verse 44, you've preserved me as the head of nations. And whether they like it or not, and it seems that they don't like it, so they come cowering, they've lost heart, they're trembling. They don't like it that David is king, but they can't avoid it. They have to acknowledge God's victorious king. But in 47 to 50, the news spreads in a different way at the same time. As some from these same nations come cowering to the king, so at the same time, in the same nations, there's a great burst of praise that breaks out. A great burst of praise begins. It's led by the king. Verse 50, Therefore I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing the praises of your name. Praising the Lord for the great victory of his king. God worked out his perfect plan. He worked it out perfectly for victory through his king. Here, the, here when the news that David, king, uh, David is king comes, it's a declaration. Some don't like it, but they can't deny it. But it's also an invitation to join in with their king in praise of God. So whether it's uh, cowering or uh, chorusing, everyone will definitely acknowledge God's victorious king. Perhaps the most basic confession of Christian people is that Jesus is Lord. I wonder what you think that means. What's the weight that comes with those words. See, we come out of the Old Testament and into the New with clear expectations, which we see clearly fulfilled in Jesus. God's true king, the serpent crusher promised in Eden, he will be opposed even to death 
on a cross. But the Lord his God will fight for him with all his power against all his enemies. And he will conquer in triumph and victory. Once dead on the battlefield, but now raised from the dead, laying down his life for his friends, but now resurrected, never to die again, with authority in heaven and on earth. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, the basic Christian confession, Jesus is Lord, is a declaration to the world. It's not up for debate. Everyone will acknowledge him. Every knee will bow. But you do not want to have to acknowledge him as one of his enemies. Much better still to hear Jesus as Lord as a declaration, but also to hear it as your invitation. To join with this king in praise to God for what he has done in his king, the Lord Jesus. To say, this is the king I actually want. To say, I want to be on the same side as this king for whom God fights. To say, I want to be on the same side as the God of heaven. So what will it be? Acknowledge Jesus, acknowledge Jesus when you've lost heart and you're trembling. It's not a safe place to be at odds with God and his king. Or acknowledge Jesus and burst into a song of praise. For to belong to him is to be as safe as he is. For God is his rock fortress and deliverer and we are with him he is leading us in our praise he's our perfect king surely you want to serve him with a whole heart delivered from sin death and all the enemies of god let's pray together If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Father, open the eyes of our hearts to your King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we acknowledge it's not safe to turn anywhere else. May we rather rejoice in him the hope of glory. He will lead us to share fully in his full victory over sin, death and the devil. 
He will make all things new and all evil will be gone. We thank you for raising your king from the dead and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.